0: Fresh Art International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century.
1: When you are here, you see why this land, this sky, this light attracted so many artists over the years and why it's a place that inspires so much.
0: The remote landscape and native culture of the American Southwest has long inspired artists and writers. Before 1995, traditional landscape painting, pottery, weaving, and silver jewelry were perhaps the best-known regional aesthetics. And then came the nonprofit art space SITE Santa Fe, the first official outpost of contemporary art in New Mexico, and home to one of the first international biennials. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer. This morning, I'm speaking on Skype with Irene Hoffman, Director and Chief Curator of Site Santa Fe since 2010. The identity of Site has gone through radical changes
1: in the past few years. Now we're in 2014 on the eve of the opening of a new biennial at Site Santa Fe. And I think when I arrived, it wasn't just new director coming in, wanting to make a break with the past. It was not at all like that. The desire for change was throughout the institution. And as we pretty quickly learned, as we started to expand our conversations to colleagues nationally and internationally, we were not at all the only ones that were rethinking the biennial model. And so the sort of restlessness, I think, or the dissatisfaction that was expressed to me about Site's biennial and what ought to be done in the future, I think was something that is shared by many institutions that have been making biennials as long as Site has. And of course there are many that have been doing it longer. Um, that we're at a moment where there are so many biennials around the world. When Site first launched a biennial in Santa Fe the international biennial here was the only one in the United States at the time. And, of course, one of only just a handful that were being presented internationally. And, of course, now the numbers of biennials are staggering. They're everywhere. And the, the very meaning of what a biennial is is sort of different depending on where you are and and also who is the organizing Body Is it a contemporary art institution like Site Santa Fe? Is it a city that's hoping to perhaps redefine its image, bring tourism? Uh, There's so many reasons why biennials have been cropping up all over the world. And so what to make of that? You know, there's suddenly the contemporary art world is expanded so greatly. You could spend your entire year going around to every opening of every new biennial. It's true.
0: I looked on my calendar actually, and I saw there were four opening this month.
1: Global. There you go. So that is part of the issue in terms of biennial making. But the other is that even in this vast, vast sea of biennials that now exist, There still, for quite a long period, were only a handful of curators that were making the circuit, Mm -hmm. and they were going around the world and presenting their biennials in different cities.
0: You had two there, right? Robert Storr and
1: Rosa Martinez? Well, Francesco Bonami was here. Yeah, of course. And for them, this is where their biennial making career started. And from here, they went on to Venice and, of course, many other great, great biennials. And for all of us, whether it's Site Santa Fe, whether it's Venice, having these extraordinary curators come to our cities and present these exhibitions, of course, served us really well. They were really important and vital for all of our institutions. But I think now at a, we're at a point where, you know, having a, a broader pool of curators that have a voice in this biennial making process and a broader group of
0: artists. The way biennials are typically organized is not always
1: sensitive to the community. I think that what we really started seeing is a small group of artists, a, a kind of biennial art that was emerging and a kind of response to a festival kind of nature of biennials that was producing, in so many cases, artwork that attempted to respond to a place without really understanding that place. And we've all seen works like this, where an artist comes to a place and is inspired by the history, the architecture, the landscape, whatever it is. But often without a whole lot of research or a whole lot of time, the projects can become very surface. And even worse, in the case of Site Santa Fe, projects can really offend the communities here that are often invited by an artist into the process of making work. But it's just too complex. It's more complex than that.
0: Several key questions led to the reimagined
1: biennial at site. What happens when a biennial actually can be more meaningful for the place, for the community that's there, and that it's not just for the art world that shows up for the opening, that there's actually continuity between biennials, ideas kind of carry forward. And then what happens if Artists who come here, who are inspired by the place, want to make work that deals with the history, let's say, of Santa Fe, history of this land when it was Mexico, the history of this place in terms of the land use or all the various cultures that all come together here in Santa Fe. These aren't easy kind of projects to navigate if an artist is just dropping in a few times during the process of creating an exhibition so what happens if we have an infrastructure at site that allows artists to spend deep time here and what happens if we allow structure for curators to spend greater time here within the structure of lines? the idea as we move forward is that we ask the curators to spend as much time here as is possible it's already quite a different structure to have the curators really um, almost in residence at site. And the same goes for the artists. I like that, that concept, curators in residence. Well, it it is rarely asked of biennial curators to move to the place during the planning. And whenever and however possible, we want to create a a support and infrastructure to allow for curators to spend that kind of time here. Because with this first sightlines iteration, we already see it's just incredible to have them here and what it kind of means to have the team together in the place where this exhibition is being staged.
0: And I'm sure that has an effect on... There are obviously their relationships with the artists
1: doing on-site projects and the community definitely, um, and so for artists it's the same thing. You know, if someone is has expressed interest in doing a, a project that is engaging this place, there is now a greater infrastructure that we've developed at site to allow for longer-term engagement. In fact, one of the artists in this exhibition, his project is in Unsettled Landscapes, but it is a project that will continue after our exhibition because it's really ambitious. It is one that engages the the history of Santa Fe when this was part of Mexico. And so he's been doing research in the archives in Santa Fe, but also in Mexico City, And is developing a project that will take the form of a performance at our opening. This is Pablo Helguera. This is a performance that I think has the capacity to expand and grow over the next several years. And so perhaps maybe in 2016, another component of this performance is in the next Sightlines show. And perhaps even in 2018, we see an even more ambitious component Pablo Helguera's 2012
0: performance at Sight reveals his long term relationship with the institution. His is just one of the territories explored in Sightlines. In this biennial, artists of different generations reveal a range of perspectives
1: on unsettled landscapes. You'll see emerging artists in this exhibition. You will see very accomplished, very important artists from parts of the Western Hemisphere that we, as as curators, don't often visit. They're incredibly prominent in their own countries, but we don't know their work here. At the same time, there are also more historic works in the Sightlines exhibition. So we look back to, uh, in some cases, early conceptual art in, in the United States in a few cases, and look at what was going on in Argentina or in Brazil. It's a real range of perspectives, real range of sort of points in an artist's career, and all works that we chose very specifically for this particular theme that looks at landscape, looks at territory and trade. Three notions, three ideas that link us all
0: in the Americas. Back in the day, When there was no money, people used to barter. For this biennial, Jason Middlebrook created a general store
1: that brings back the practice of trading. When we think about the history of the Americas, we think about different economies, different kinds of exchange over borders, exchange with different countries. So there's lots of territory that this sort of thematic of trade could possibly express and for Jason it's actually looking back at a time when there was a completely different kind of economic system that was based on barter so he is creating a pretty extraordinary uh, installation in a shipping container this shipping container has been completely transformed inside and out to look like a general store. So it looks like you're walking into sort of a movie set of an old Western. It's really amazing. Wood, floors, walls, counters. And so the general store, of course, in a place like um, Santa Fe and so many other early cities in the West was the place where you could buy everything. Everything that's in the store is available for visitors to buy, but only through barter. So it suddenly sets up a relationship with the clerk and the viewer in a negotiation over value.
0: Visitors should come prepared to barter then.
1: They should come prepared to barter, but it's not just finding, you know, like a rubber band in your pocket (laughs) and trying to make the case that this is really, um, uh, has some very special provenance and therefore you should hand over this amazing birdhouse that you want to buy. Instead, you're going to have to make your own birdhouse. I imagine even within a month, most of the the original merchandise in the store will turn over.
0: And I bet the local... Population will take full advantage of their proximity. I hope so. Andrea Bowers is a defender of territories. For her project, she literally runs across the wild land of Utah that was saved by activist Tim DeChristopher.
1: Andrea's piece is really poetic. It is. It shows these amazing vistas of this empty land, beautiful mountains, trees. She shot most of this film in spots where it's full of snow and you just see these beautiful views and then you see a figure running towards the camera and it's her. She comes all the way up to the camera after being completely out of sight, and with with a chalkboard, writes down the number of the parcel that she's standing on. And then we see the next screen, and it's a totally different view of another parcel. And again, she's running towards the camera. So parcel after parcel, we get to see, interspersed is Tim telling his story. So it's a really powerful piece. The landscape is a natural subject
0: for art in the American Southwest, a large-scale installation by Kent Monkman reinterprets the nature and culture of the region's history.
1: His work revolves around sort of looking back at how Native peoples have been represented historically uh, and, and recuperating a lot of that imagery in an in a in a very contemporary way. And so he often will place himself and his alter ego, Miss Chief Eagle Testicle. So it's Kent's likeness uh, in drag, beautiful feathered headdress, dream catchers abroad, <laughs> um, and and often in a landscape that conflates sort of stereotypical images of Native in the West with modern and contemporary um, art, so the diorama is pretty dramatic. It's a it's a very large canvas. So it's looking, you know it's almost like you're walking into yes a natural history museum where there would be sort of taxidermied animals, depictions of Native people and this painted backdrop of the landscape. So all of those components um, come into play in, in a new piece that will be in our exhibition.
0: And I noticed that some of the projects won't even be on view in Santa Fe. Some artists are doing projects way offsite, right? And
1: Suriname was one of them. That's right, yeah, that's Marcel Pinas. Um, that's a project that really engages the local community and is one that will have a long-term engagement with us. Even after the exhibition, his project will have a physical component here with us uh, in early 2015, but throughout the run of the show, it's really taking shape. Same is true for Marcos Ramirez-Ere and David Taylor. Their project launches at our opening They are traveling the original border between the U.S. and Mexico and placing obelisks, sort of this monument, not dissimilar to uh, a series of monuments that mark the current Mexico-U.S. border. Uh, So they have purchased a van, they've been fabricating these monuments, And they are going to be traveling throughout the West and making stops in cities all over and reminding us of what the time that this land was, was Mexico.
0: Liz Cohen's project reinvents the iconic El Camino.
1: She will be represented by her very long-term project called Trabantamino. And it is a a car she has modified, an East German Trabant that she has modified through hydraulics. The car extends to the exact dimensions of an El Camino. And so the parts have also been altered. So it's sort of not exactly, but almost sort of roughly half Trabant half-American car, many parts from an El Camino, and she has traveled this, this vehicle, not driving it necessarily, but in a trailer, bringing it around the, the country, and especially in the West, and photographing it on really important um, highways. And last summer, in fact, brought it to a number of lowrider competitions. One of them was just an hour from here, Española, New Mexico, where her car won uh, a prize in the extreme body modification category.
0: The romance of the road runs through
1: unsettled landscapes. Santa Fe, in fact, sits very close to the Pan American Highway. And this idea that Santa Fe and site is near this road that connects, you know, roughly, it's pretty broken up by now, but roughly connects Alaska to Argentina with uh, a network of roads is pretty amazing, it's kind of romantic, this idea that the Pan-American Highway connects us all. And so for for us as well, that notion began us on a a path of thinking about connectivity in the hemisphere and that it actually can come down to something as simple as a shared road. Chilean artist Gianfranco
0: Foscino makes his expedition by boat, exploring remote islands off the coast of South America.
1: He took a boat and traveled among all of these amazing islands that are at the very uh, sort of end of the continent in Patagonia. And it used to be inhabited. The native people who had lived there were exterminated. They traveled from island to island with canoes and... It is now completely uninhabited and quite beautiful. The footage that I've seen already of the piece, it's very quiet, beautiful sun, beautiful ocean, beautiful lush, green, tree-filled little islands, bigger islands. So No Man's Land is the name of this piece, which, you know, it feels like the end of the world.
0: What do you hope is the legacy of Sightlines?
1: Well, I think with Sightlines, we have created a structure and began on a course with this first exhibition to really present an exhibition that has many perspectives that aren't often shown in exhibitions in the United States. So many of the artists in this exhibition find themselves only known to us when they're presented in a, an exhibition that is, you know, art from the Caribbean, or Native American art, or, you know, art from Argentina, or, or even, even though much broader, Latin American art. And And while those kinds of structures for exhibitions certainly help frame our understanding of, of a context for an artist, this exhibition breaks away all of that and presents artists from all of these regions um, and, and perspectives, but presents them all on equal footing and gives us a chance to really look at a lot of work that we are, we are not seeing and, Over time, I think we have created a structure and a network throughout the Americas that really allows Sites New, Sightline's biennial series to really present something fresh and something really new to the field and to audiences.
0: You've been listening to Fresh Talk with Irene Hoffman. Learn more about Irene Hoffman and cite Santa Fe's new biennial exhibition series on FreshArtInternational.com. Let's continue our conversation on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll find us at FreshArtINTL. In upcoming Fresh Talk, you can follow our tour of three international biennials in North America this year. Stay tuned for conversations we'll capture in Santa Fe, Montreal, and New Orleans. More from Tim DeChristopher.
2: I'm Tim DeChristopher, I'm 28 years old, and I'm a climate activist. The BLM oil and gas auction was announced in November of 2008, and it included huge areas of of Eastern Utah, right on the borders of Canyonlands and Arches National Park, and it was pretty clear that, that not much thought had gone into it, they were just trying to get as much into the hands of the oil companies before Bush left office as possible. They didn't do an adequate environmental impact statement, they uh, shortcutted a lot of the public comment and blocked public comment and most importantly there was just no acknowledgement that this was going to have a major impact on our climate. So all that to me kind of made this a a really outrageous thing that was going on and convinced me that it was something that that we couldn't accept, that we had to do something about. And There were some folks having a, a protest outside while the auction was going on. And I went down there for the protest, but at the same time realized that the protest wasn't actually gonna do anything. It wasn't enough just to hold a sign on the sidewalk that uh, we had to make a, a stronger statement. And so I decided I was gonna go inside. And, and in, instead of the security dragging me out, they said, hi, are you here for the auction? And I said, well, yes, I am. And they said, would you like to be a bidder? And I said, well, yes, I would. <laughs> and, and at that point, I still had no idea what I was going to do. You know, my, my intention going in there was I was going to cause some kind of a disruption. I thought that would be like uh, yelling or making a speech or throwing a shoe or something like that. And so even when they said, would you like to be a bidder, I was thinking, well, yeah, I'll sign up to be a bidder and then I can get in there and make a speech or something. But it wasn't until I, I was actually inside that I saw I had an opportunity to cause a major disruption by bidding and, and that I could really have an impact on this auction and I could really Uh, perhaps cause enough chaos that, that things will be screwed up until the new administration comes in and it could possibly be overturned.